Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how you doing today? Spectacular, Lee. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. It is a gorgeous day in Metro Atlanta. We're back from a very quick spring break trip with the kids to our nation's capital. Yeah, Had a wonderful so. time. And Greg, we get to jump back in with one of our faves here, right? You feel like I've been missing class for the last couple of weeks, right? I mean, so glad to be back. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to this. Look, anytime we can get Mike on the show is fantastic. So, and we talk about supply chain, not just now, right? Today and tomorrow, <laughs> right? Yes, you teed it up well. <laughs> you teed it up very well, Greg. One of our longest-running, most popular series here at Supply Chain. Now, I want to say we're in year three of Supply Chain Today and Tomorrow with the one and only Mike Griswold with Gartner, as Greg mentioned. Now, today, Greg, today we're talking about the modern, highly complex balancing act that supply chain leaders must manage to make their ecosystem successful. It's a little bit of a follow-up discussion from a recent event that you spoke at. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. The World Innovation Solutions Conference 2023 put on by Rob Rowan, and he brought in dignitaries. I met the former ambassador of several countries. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Bob Pearson, and now he's at Duke University, asked a really poignant question, which we'll talk about maybe later. Yeah. Generals and other talented people. So... It was a great session. A lot of academics. The founder of Priceline was there. Really? He was a huge Chiefs fan. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, I've reviewed a lot. I think we sent one of our team members out to capture a lot of a lot of what was going on, a lot of your your commentary. Really good stuff. And we're going to offer a sliver of that here today. I think we got some stuff we're going to be releasing, Greg, after the fact. But uh, you were on fire, and I'm glad we can rehash some of that here today. All right, folks, so you're in for a great conversation. Mike Griswold Gartner is joining us in just yeah. a second. I want to say hello to a few folks, and then we're going to share a couple of opportunities for, you know, as I'm, as we shared last weekend, hey, folks, we got you back. We know the difficult situation, environment, world that we live in, a lot of old challenges, a lot of new challenges, and we're here to offer resources to help you and your teams be more successful. We're going to share some of those here in just a second. Dumasani. Tuned in via LinkedIn from Zambia. Welcome, welcome. Durja is in from India, also via LinkedIn. Welcome to you. Michelle, down in Maples, Florida. Michelle, great to have you here via LinkedIn. Hassan from India, great to see you. Of course, our dear friend, Josh Goody's back with us, Greg, up from Seattle. Take a stab at the weather, Greg, up in Seattle today. Take a step. I'm going to say relatively cool and rainy. Okay. So, Josh, bring it. And I look forward to your perspective throughout the hour. And Gino is back with us. Gino Pledger up in North Alabama. I hope yeah. you're doing well. Gino. Right. Okay. So, Greg, as promised, we've got a couple of resources for folks to learn and get better. Learn, how's it go? The demand cycle. Hey, basically, learn, apply, roll it out, check it. <laughs> Highly technical terms. But yeah, hey, I like that. <laughs> so, Simplify it for the people sim- in the front row. Amen. Right. A simple, simplification is a good thing. Hey, 
April 6th, that is tomorrow, 12 noon Eastern time, we're going to be talking about not simplified, but a unified supply chain approach. We've got Bryant and Rob joining us from Manhattan Associates. They've been with us before. They've been there, done that. Greg, we enjoy these conversations, don't we? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's great to hear from the companies that are helping the practitioners get it done and how. It's always great tips and our audience always loves to hear what the solutions are out there in the marketplace because I know, having been on both sides of the table, selling solutions and being a practitioner, how hard it can be to narrow down to what you need because, I mean, this is an unfortunate happenstance and Mike can verify this as well. A lot of the return on investment and a lot of the claims of the portions of your supply chain that get changed, they kind of roll together. Whether it's a transportation solution, a warehouse solution, or a planning solution, they all kind of claim the same impact on ROI and they just can't all do it. So it's great to create this kind of clarity when you talk to companies that either can do all things or can really specify the portions of your business that are going to get impacted. Wow, that was a long way to say that, but... Join us. Yeah. <laughs> Greg, very eloquent and you're spot on. Of course, we've had lots of these conversations and we've done it to your point, Greg. So join us tomorrow, 12 noon Eastern time, as we hear from Bryant and Rob. And then it gets better. We love a repeat guest. Michael Conley, who knocked a home run out a month or two ago, is back with us. We're talking supply chain planning, how to go way beyond SNOP, of course, sales and operations planning in 2023. That is next week, the 11th at 12 in the Eastern time. So join us for that. Folks, we're dropping the link to join in the chat as we look to make it easy today. Ask and you shall receive. For some reason, that didn't sound right today. Josh says four degrees Celsius today in Seattle, cloudy with rain and forecast. And he's given a little tidbit here. Interesting to see how the new energy deals that just posted are going to affect India, China, and Japanese logistics and manufacturing firms. Excellent point, Josh. We're going to dive into that probably on the buzz on Monday, I bet. All right, so Greg, are you ready to bring on the one and only? You know, I saw, and by the way, Elvis, welcome. Good morning from Regina, Saskatchewan, up Regina. in Canada. Did I say that? Oh, Regina, sorry. Did I say that right? Saskatchewan? Saskatchewan, yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, so it's lovely and scenic, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. So. Okay, all right. Well, you know, Elvis, I'm not sure if your namesake was the iconic performance. It has to be. It has to be. But I wish we had an Elvis-like introduction for the one and only Mike Griswold. We'll work on that next go-round. Yes. (laughs) Or we just got Greg Singh. But hey, all kidding aside, we love these conversations. We continue to hear from all of you, our listeners, about these monthly conversations we've got. I want to welcome in our dear friend, Mike Griswold, Vice President Analyst with Gartner. Mike, how you doing? Hey, everyone. I'm doing great. Thanks. Greg, welcome back. I feel like when I was listening to you talk as you kicked off the show, I feel like Greg should have, like, I'll date myself, the welcome back Cotter note from his mom around why Greg was absent. Greg was out sick, signed Greg's mom. Yeah. So, right. I think you need to give that to Scott to explain where you've been the last few episodes. Greg got lost on the way to class. Greg's mom. Most people will probably, and I know you're, the, all of our support people, Amanda and Jennifer, they'll all have to Google Welcome Back, Connor, because yes. they're way too young to know Welcome yeah. Back, Connor. Oh, Mr. Gordon. Mr. Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey. Porterino was my favorite song. Yeah. Speaking of, big thanks, Amanda, Catherine, Chantel, Clay, all Catherine, the folks that yes. make, make today's show happen. And Mike, what a great call out. We love yeah. our I'm the Chief Offender 
of our antiquated references. And welcome back, Cotter. <laughs> certainly is on that list now. Yes. Okay. Great show, though. Really. Yeah. Really a great show. I like the teacher in that show. I can't remember his name. I think we're, he recently passed away a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Gabe he was a great Kaplan. Yes. I liked Gabe Kaplan. Yes. All right. So, folks, stay tuned. We've got a big conversation that we're going to dive into. But first, Greg and Mike, I want to start with a fun warm-up question. And, Mike, we aim to please. You asked in pre-show. Okay, Scott. All right, Luton. What is today's <laughs> national day? What is today's national day? So, it's National Deep Dish Pizza Day. It's National Caramel Day. It's National Nebraska Day. Hear that, Amanda? National Nebraska, Nebraska Day. Day. <laughs> Amongst well, others. for Amanda, right? She was a cheerleader at the University of Nebraska, right? So true, wow. Greg. I bet few folks Very know nice. that, too. But where I'm going to yeah. focus... <laughs> yes. Where I'm going to focus our attention here today is... Because I know both of y'all are Bond fans. I'm a big Bond fan as well. Of course, we're talking about James Bond, the only Bond. So Albert R. Broccoli, and yes, that is how he pronounced his last name, who was nicknamed Cubby, by the way, was born on April 5th, 1909 in New York City. Now, of course, most folks know he went on to become really famous for producing many of the James Bond films from the get-go. He produced the first one, Dr. No, which featured Sean Connery. So the question then, Greg, and Mike, we'll start mm -hmm. with you. Who is your favorite actor to portray James Ooh. Bond? And what is your favorite Bond film, Mike? So probably a little bit guilty of recency bias, but I'm going to go with Daniel Craig. I think if you read some of the Bond books that Ian Fleming wrote, I think he's a little bit closer to the kind of the gritty, kind of darker side of Bond, which I think Daniel Craig brought to the screen. Mm. I thought Casino Royale was the perfect way to introduce Daniel Craig as how Bond became Bond, but probably my favorite is actually the last one, right? Okay. No Time to Die, which if you haven't seen it, I won't give away the ending. But to me, that is the perfect kind of wrap-up of Daniel Craig as James Bond. So again, probably some recency bias, but I just like what he brought to the character compared to some of the others that were fortunate enough to play that role. It will be interesting to see kind of where the franchise goes next. Agreed. Agreed. Good stuff there. All right. So, Greg, that's going to be tough to top. I know you've got some Hollywood experience with the Bond film and some of the movers and players there, but Greg, your yeah. favorite Bond and your favorite Bond movie. Yeah. Well, despite the best efforts of Richard Cohen and CEO of MGM, I'm going to say Sean Connery is my favorite Bond. And I think because the times were different, he didn't get to show as much of the Dark side, you know, the sort of notion of an anti-hero landed around the time that Daniel Craig became James Bond, which is 2004, by the way. Doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Right. But it was that long ago. And I'm going to pick the movie that Harry Schwartzman, Harry Saltzman, sorry, and Sean Connery produced without Eon Productions, Never Say Never Again in 1983, which was kind of, it was a comeback movie for sean connery he put a little more edge in it he had a little bit more of that old statesman kind of approach like daniel craig but i gotta tell you i love daniel craig movies and i think it's Leon royale anyone who saves their own life from a heart attack or heart stoppage <laughs> yeah that is yes, all you need to see in a movie to go that is one tough son of a yeah. bitch right there so yeah greg i, I agree i mean when I, to be Daniel Craig is almost 
that second iteration of what Sean Connery did when he was the first James Bond. Yeah. So I, to me, the others in the middle, I think were good. I think they all had their own little flair and put their own little touch on what, how they saw his personality. But to me, Sean Connery and Daniel Craig, I think were, are the closest to what I visualize when I read some of those Ian Fleming books. Yeah. I think you're right. All right. So I'm going to be the outlier. And we'll I'm dive into it here today. I was communicating oh. some Bond fandom forever. Yes. Well, so I can't separate. I was the biggest Bond fan when I was a kid, right? And so I can't separate from what I grew up knowing James Bond as. And for me, that's Roger Moore, A View to Kill. I probably watched that movie a thousand times. And I love, I mean, just how Roger Moore played the character and which persona was. So for me, it's Roger Moore, A View to Kill. But I completely won't disagree with what both of y'all have shared. It's really interesting to see how they've updated time and where they'll go next. So I don't hate, unlike most Connery fans, okay. I don't hate Roger Moore. The game, the movies started to become a little bit more campy. There was a lot of, of wordplay and, you know, and fun in right. the movies, which isn't true to the books, but it was true to the times. And I think Roger Moore did a bang up job. He could be, he was a perfect straight man delivering some of those hilarious just hilarious puns and lines and that kind of thing. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. Josh loved Connery, uh, Sean Connery. And I don't have this person's name. Please drop that in there for me. Amanda or Catherine, also big Sean Connery fan. And Durga, yes. Hey, we got to stop and smell the roses from time to time, right? We're about to jump right into supply chain wholeheartedly. But uh, I'd welcome it, Durga. It's going to be worth it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> All right. So thank you all for playing our fun warm-up question here today around James Bond. We'll see where the franchise goes next. But getting right into supply chain leadership and a whole lot more here today, I want to tee up this thing a bit and Greg get you to weigh in because yeah. as we were preparing for Mike's monthly chat with us here, long running, Mike, I want to say year three, we might be venturing into year four territory. I don't know. Very popular conversations. Mike brings it. Most folks appreciate it. has been there, done that, and it's practical way especially the altitude that he keeps his responses in. So as Greg and I were chatting last week and Greg was fresh on the heels of his visit, we started thinking about some of the big themes that Greg as a keynote at this event and as he's rubbing elbows and having not only the session topics, but also the maybe the whiskey discussion or the coffee discussion. We insert whatever word there. Greg. Been, yes. <laughs> maybe both. Whiskey and um, cigars involved, yes. <laughs> so, Greg, as I clumsily tee this thing up, tell us, where does today's conversation about this modern balancing act and how folks, how supply chain leaders have to, what they're tasked with, how did the conversation come about? So, what has been seen cannot be unseen. And as someone who, and probably like Mike, Scott, and you, who's been to many a neighborhood or cocktail party and had someone ask you what you do for a living, said supply chain and watch their eyes glaze over or them just slowly walk away and find someone interesting to talk to. It's a dramatic change. And I think that aside from what is being touted in the press about disruption and geopolitical instability and a number of things, the real change in supply chain is simply awareness. Consumers are more aware. A supply chain professional's colleagues within their own company are more aware and even morons like politicians are aware of what supply chain is and what it can mean to the industry. So my thesis is that is all that has changed, right? We've had ships stuck in the Suez Canal before. We've gone through many, many, many inter 
international geopolitical conflicts, wars and whatnot. And, you know, and we've had things like the great toilet paper shortage of 2020 before as well. Now, it was the great toilet paper shortage of 2020 that ignited all this awareness because we were all at home or getting ready to go home, watching television or wherever you get your news from to see what was going to happen next. And we all became aware. And likewise, even supply chain professionals, they have seen what they can't unsee. And that is that their supply chain is more complex, interconnected and interdependent than they ever conceived of before, even if they have been doing the job for decades. They've recognized that they've recognized now that the geopolitical conflict has a greater impact. And now that supply chains have frankly been weaponized by certain international parties, China and Russia, and others, right? There's there are some new dynamics there because that while geopolitical conflict is not new, the use of geopolitical conflict or international Mm. has changed. So there's a lot of things that have changed. Um, the awareness is so great now that we have no place to hide. And I think, frankly, in the industry, we took advantage of that a little bit while shouting from the rooftops that we wanted a seat at the table. Mm. We did benefit from being a bit obscure to the rest of the world. So now we have to recognize that there are tons of other fragilities. Some of those fragilities are unseen, like if you have seven tiers of suppliers, you don't know who all of your suppliers are, things like that. And yet now, today, because of things like ESG, you're being the responsibility and accountability for those are being placed on you as well. So there's a whole new set of responsibilities at play today as well. And so the question is really how do supply chain leaders with all this new awareness, both their awareness, their trading partners' awareness, their company's awareness, and their consumers' awareness, how do they minimize the risk of an ecosystem that they can't even see all of? So with that question in mind, Mike. What comes to your mind initially? Yeah, so I, I agree completely with Greg around the awareness piece. You know, I when we talked to companies as we were going into the pandemic, it was really a case of okay, be careful what you wish for around having a seat at the table. So all of a sudden, we got a seat at the table, and people were looking around at each other, saying, "Okay, now what do I do? I'm actually at the table. Now what do I do?" And I think supply chains, for the most part, I would say, have benefited and their organizations have benefited from having that seat at the table. But I agree with you, Greg, around the biggest thing that's new is this awareness that, oh, by the way, we have the supply chain and it's pretty powerful. I will caution people, though, that when I look at our data and some of our research, we just wrote a research report, Future Supply Chain 2023. We are running the risk based on the data of people kind of pushing us back away from the table. What I mean by that is going into the pandemic, when we looked at the population, you know, anywhere between 70 and 75% of respondents that were supply chain professionals say, yeah, yes, we have a seat at the table. But when we look at the data now, that's starting to look at 20, late 2022, 2023 and beyond. What we're seeing is more companies tell us we're not getting that seat at the table anymore, Mm. except companies that are high performers. 73% of high-performing companies still have that seat at the table. So my message to supply chain professionals is you need to make sure that you retain that seat at the table. It's about how do you continue to make people aware around your capabilities? 
And how do you continue to talk about things like how does our supply chain enable growth? How does our supply chain enable commercial innovation? Those are the things that will keep you at the seat of the table. If you rest on what you were able to do during the pandemic, you will not have a seat at the table. And that's, I think, as I look at our research, that's what concerns me is, you know, many organizations and many others as C-suite, you know, with all due respect, have relatively short attention spans. And it's very easy for that group to kind of forget about the supply chain when things are running fairly well. Right. And kind of relegate us back to the little kids table where we were pre-COVID. All right, Greg. I bet you're chomping at the bit. Mike laid out a lot there. And I love that final thought that he, he wrapped on about being back at the kid's table. <laughs> so, Greg, your response, Mike's initial answer. Enlightening and stunning, frankly. I, I'm surprised, one, how fast it's happened that we've been relegated to the kid's table again. And two, that after all the bitching and moaning we've done for decades to get to the adult table, that we would just allow ourselves to be relegated back to that. And, but it is true. I mean, you know, time heals all wounds, right? So everyone is hoping for that new normal. And we all, every one of us, Mike, Scott, you, all of us discussed that this could happen, right? That people are seeking the new normal and by normal, they meant the way things used to be. But the one thing that isn't the way it's used to be and the one thing that will impact companies forever is not the changes in geopolitical dynamics or all of these other things that we've promoted, but it is the awareness. Because consumers will not cease to be aware that you have one job. Whatever your brand or whatever your company is, you have one job, and that's deliver. Now, there are lots of qualifications to that, but basically, it, deliver means I want it, I order it, I go to buy it. I get it. No questions asked, no problem, no delays, right? And now they know that there is multiple levels of culpability if they don't get it. They don't just blame Target if Target is out. They know that that's on Procter & Gamble or whoever else if they can't get their product, right? They understand, consumers understand enough about supply chain that it, it impacts a multitude of companies' brand identity by failing. And yep. I hear it every day, consumers switching brands because yeah. they're going where it's reliable. Yep. The only real difference is they're saying it more often and they know it's because of supply chain. So now they're actually starting to understand a company's supply chain and making their decision to select or remain loyal to a brand because of that, the effectiveness of that supply chain. All right. So, Mike, I'm going to come back to you in just a second, and we'll kind of figure out what el- what else you see based on research, based on what you're seeing companies do to strike this balance that really meets all layers and players of the ecosystem that Greg so eloquently spoke about. I want to share a couple of quick comments here, though. Gino's got the best one, maybe. Wow. Short memories. <laughs> Gino, yeah. dead on the money. You're so right. But uh, it's so point. true. I mean, if we, if ever we needed to... If any of us ever needed a reminder of that, it is absolutely true. And it's, and it so often, especially in American business, unlike the Japanese who plan for decades and centuries or the Chinese, we plan for the next five years and often get caught up in all of the, all of the fires that are caused during that timeframe and get distracted. Yes. 
Well, and, and I want to pick back up there, and I got some other comments I'll get. I'll try to get to later. T squared, great to see you there. And Durga asking about India. We'll try to get those too. But Michael, I'll come back to you based on what Greg just shared there, and what Gino said. Short memories. I think a key part of your response earlier it, are the questions that supply chain leaders and supply chain organization has to answer. Right? How do we help grow? How do we help drive innovation? How do we help optimize customer experience? How you know, never sitting on those laurels. Because, as Gino points out, business leaders in other parts of the organization can have really short memories. We've got to, we've got to demonstrate, just like them, how the market always asks you day in, day out. That's great. But what have you done for me lately? We've got to answer that question. Seems like on the hour these days. But Mike, your response there, and then we'll just lead into what else you think supply chain leaders must do to strike and maintain this balance. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick up on some of our supply chain top 25 research. And last year, what we identified, and we're still working through the 2023 trends, but I think what we observed in 2022 is going to be consistent for this year. One of the macro trends we had that got a lot of people talking was this idea of chief supply chain officers evolving into chief ecosystem officers, CEOs. Mm -hmm. And Greg, already a couple of times, has mentioned this idea of an ecosystem. And we see for the leading companies that ecosystem manifests itself in two ways. There's one ecosystem, which is your internal ecosystem, which is, okay, what is the span of control of the supply chain? And I think during the pandemic, when we got the seat at the table, the organization was basically saying, fix this. I don't care how you fix it, but you need to fix this. And supply chain said, great, well, give me responsibility for manufacturing. Give me responsibility for procurement. Let me own demand and supply. Mm -hmm. Spending control group, right? When I look at our top 25 companies, 75% of them are now responsible for the customer experience, which never would have happened years ago. Almost 60% of them are responsible for ESG and sustainability. So there's that internal ecosystem, which is broadening. And to, to Greg, your earlier comment, we as supply chain leaders need to not let anyone take what we built as our starting and stopping point. You can't let people take that away, right? You can't let someone now put procurement someplace else if it's lived in the supply chain. You don't want to move sustainability someplace else if it's been living in the supply chain. Right. So there's that internal ecosystem that is definitely broadening and leading organizations. But then there's the external ecosystem, which is what you were getting to, Greg, around you know, your suppliers, suppliers, partnering with NGOs, partnering with government agencies around how do we start to shape the ecosystem within which our supply chain operates. And for many chief supply chain officers, that is a relatively new skill set. If I go back to Greg's example around politicians and morons, which I think are <laughs> relatively synonymous, like uh, if I'm a chief supply chain officer, I might now have to insert myself in some of those discussions around things like legislation, particularly yep. if I'm the Walmarts, the Krogers, the Amazons, those companies that have global massive supply chains that can actually influence some of these outside agencies and entities. So. To me, part of our challenge around the overall discussion of awareness is being aware of these two ecosystems and how are you going to play, you as a supply chain leader, how are you going to play an active role in both of those ecosystems 
because you can't be passive. If you're passive, one of two things will happen. Both are bad. You will lose some of the game you've made around your span of control, and you'll have things done to you versus shaping how you want things to happen moving forward. Both, you're right. Both those things are bad. Greg, weigh in on the dangers of acting passively and other things Mike should just share. Well, I mean, first, I think we have to acknowledge that we as supply chain professionals, just like all the other professionals in our respective companies, let out a collective sigh that things have calmed down quite a bit. And we've let our guard down just like everyone else in the company has. And historically, too, we have had very short memories. So we're not immune to this. We're not above the rest of the executive team. We're more aware of this element of the business, of course, but no more or less likely to hope for status quo, right? So that said, I think we have to recognize that it's not a them versus us. It's also a them versus, it's an us versus us. We have to be more diligent about this and seek that control. And now that we understand particularly that the consumer understands the dynamics of supply chain. We have to aim at that. So many manufacturers stop when they get their goods, their supply chain ends when their goods get to their distributor or retailer. But you know, I'm going to say this. I do. The consumer is the beginning and the end of the supply chain. There is no supply necessary without demand. And I will contest that till the day that I die. And there are plenty of people who disagree with that. The days of you know, madmen being able to tell you are a man because the kind of cigarettes you smoke, that's over. People are defining themselves more and more, and they are requesting or seeking or even getting customization of products that fit their lifestyle and lifestyle choices. So we have to recognize that's more true than ever. And the other is that we have to identify the outdated approaches that status quo represents, the way that we forecast right? Presuming a lack of robust data is just one example. But there are so many other things that we do that create unintentional or intentional inefficiencies and obfuscations in the supply chain. We have to get past that, right? And Mike, for so long, you have said supply chain has been about rewarding the arsonist, right? We fail to see all of the depths and interdependencies and interconnectivity in our ecosystem. And we don't search for them, and we don't try to eliminate those fragilities. And by doing that, we create fires, that, but then we congratulate, not intentionally create fires, but our negligence creates fires that then we congratulate ourselves for solving, right? Putting out. So there, I mean, there's a lot of dynamics that we have to recognize, stay diligent about, and continue to evolve supply chain practice to avoid what now we can't hide from. Right. Yes. When you said that supply chain professionals can't unsee what they've seen, neither can consumers. They won't cease to recognize again that supply chain is this complex ecosystem and that you guys, we guys are all getting paid to reconcile all that complexity and just make it work. They're going to expect the same from us as they expect from accountants. They don't know enough. They don't, people don't know if they're like me, they don't know a lot about accounting. But they sure as hell don't want them making them go to jail for doing their taxes wrong. And they right. expect right. And we are not similar in that regard. I'm fortunate to have made it this far in life, learning only enough about accounting, which allowed me to pass that accounting one and accounting two class in college mm-hmm. and never open that book again. Thankfully, because I was not born 
here to do anything remote, anything related to accounting. Mike, Greg just shared a ton of good news. And of course, he mentioned one of the things that you're famous for saying about rewarding the arsonists that we've talked about here numerous times. But he also mentioned things like breaking the status quo, throwing out the window, and reinventing. And also how we've got to, as he wrapped on, you know, folks, if they're going to pigeonhole you about what you're going to deliver day in and day out and take that for granted, you've got to shock that process and shock that assumption from time to time for the better, I would argue, for the better of supply chain, for the better of the business. But your reaction to what Greg said, and I want to work this, Josh, yeah. I see you there. I'm going to work your comment in just a second. But Mike, react to what Greg shared and uh, again, about striking and maintaining this ever-challenging balance. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to piggyback Greg's comment to my earlier comment around the number of leading supply chain organizations that own the customer experience. Yep. Because I think what Greg said around the customer at the beginning and the end of the supply chain, I couldn't agree with that more. That's 100% true, at least in my book, Greg. I agree with you completely. What we're learning through our research around the supply chain, and and I think it aligns exactly with what Greg just said, is customers, however you define it, your customers are changing. Their requirements are changing. Their service requirements are changing. Their service expectations are changing. And as a supply chain, we have to understand that. We have to find some way to potentially anticipate that so that we have the capabilities that deliver what our customer wants kind of when they want it. One of the things we have to recognize that some of the things our customers want are is now information. It's not a physical product. I saw someone at one point talked about having you know a supply chain that delivers physical stuff and a supply chain that delivers data right mm-hmm. delivers non-physical things that you can actually wrap your hands around yeah a couple of Gartner analysts wrote a book it's on Amazon I apologize for the shameless plug for Gartner <laughs> analysts but it's and I don't have the exact title but it's basically th- their book is written around how machines are going to be your new customer Mm-hmm. Think about how HP has set up printers that you can basically defer all ink ordering to your printer. You basically say, hey, printer, when you think I'm out of ink, send an order to HP and I'll wake up some morning and there's now mm-hmm. ink cartridges on my front door. So if I'm HP, my customer is now a printer. It's not necessarily me going to HP and ordering you know, ink cartridges. So that's what I mean by we really have to step up our thinking around what is a customer because at some point, customers are certainly going to be people, but they're also going to be machines. And how is our supply chain configured, enabled, from a people process and technology perspective, our supply chains designed to have machines as customers. Yes. Probably not. I think Greg (laughs) and I, you and I talk a lot about kind of what we do as humans to really mess up the demand signal. Right. We get passionate about a product, so we go buy tons of it, toilet paper as an example. Think about a machine as a customer. That doesn't happen. You're going to get a very predictable 
reliable demand signal because machines don't have that emotion, right? They're looking at data. They know when to order, how much to order. So in some ways, if I'm a supply chain person, it's like, okay, how do I get more machines as customers and less people as customers because I have less volatility? Right. So those types of things, you know, around the customer, I think are going to be that differentiating capability. Those people, those supply chain organizations or organizations with good supply chains that recognize kind of the changing dynamics of what a customer wants and how we actually define a customer. Yes. Those are going to be the people that, that win in the long run, in my opinion. All right. Oh, I wish, I really wish I had a graphic of Johnny Five from short circuit from the eighties that, that so we could help everyone picture who their future customers are because, because the machines aren't going to be as understanding maybe as many human customers yeah. are today. But all right. So informative. I mean, first of all, I think we, I'd like to like acknowledge how, what revolutionary level of thinking that is that mm. the machines effectively become the customer. And that's something that supply chains need to be digitized, digitalized, whichever it is to accommodate. But also think about this. Humans are fickle and unpredictable. Machines are very predictable. And because lead times are a huge part of fulfilling service level, not only can that printer tell you, hey, we're ordering more, it can start to tell you, hey, I'm getting low. I predict that I'll be ordering more at this point and continually update you so that you have preemptive capability to produce right, and package and, and position the goods so that when that printer inevitably and ultimately orders, you're right there. Right? So, That's huge. That is huge in closing some of the efficiency gaps that we just talked about earlier in supply chain. So, so what I'm hearing you say, Greg, I think the good news there is <laughs> for, what you, for what the machines may lack from an emotional intelligence standpoint, they're going to offer perfect planning and forecasting intelligence to give your, their human suppliers clarity to act day in and day out. Perfect and, is just above where I would say, because remember, humans are still using the device, which right, is causing right. the demand, right? Or the indication of demand. But yeah, it's, it's much, much more informative for sure than just a human saying time to order. Because <laughs> if we're monitoring that machine for that signal that says time to order, we can also monitor that machine for you know, this sink is down to here and this sink is down to here, we expect to be ordering in the next week or three months or whatever it is. And the efficiencies that can be provided all the way back to production and sourcing by that is, I'm going to say game changing. Yep. I'm going to check that off on your PSP. <laughs> I knew it was a matter of time before we'd all be working for robots for sure. But kidding aside, kidding aside. All right, so Greg and Mike, what I'm going to do for the sake of time, give you all a heads up. I know that... This conversation, of course, deserves much more than an hour, but unfortunately, we have less than that here today with Mike's time. So I'm going to share a couple comments, and then, Mike, we're going to circle back you, with you and Greg and get your final key takeaway that folks have to leave this conversation with in mind, okay? Because we've covered a lot of ground, some of it high level, some of it you know, kind of down into planning details, right? So one key takeaway from you both. And then, of course, we'll make sure folks know what's coming up from our friends at Gartner. I gotta, I'm just tickled 
to have Latia Thomas. Right? See Latia Thomas. <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy. Uh, and also, I empathize and completely agree with that sentence. So let me share that for our listeners that may be listening to this replay. So Latia, of course, we've interviewed her before here. I met her out at a Demska conference three or four years ago. She's doing big things in supply chain. Latia, hope you're well. She says, accounting one and two will always be the villains in my story. Latia, amen. I'm with you. And then I was going to share Josh's. And Josh, we're opening up a can here. Josh says, supply chain is the greatest way to show how connected everything is and the law of unintended consequences. But then he says this, afterthought. Now it's the great shortage of Girl Scout cookies 2023. Josh, oh man, thinking of Thin Mints. My brain is gone now. So, and thank you all for being here. Thanks for your comments. And then I'm going to share Gino's here. Totally agree. What forward-looking thoughts? Visibility across the chain. I think we've heard that a time or two, huh? Okay. So, Mike Griswold, a supply chain to today and tomorrow. We've enjoyed these discussions. This is fascinating. This conversation alone is fascinating in terms of not where we're going, elements that are already here, right? Right. That are challenging our supply fellow supply chain practitioners and leaders and really business leaders. So, Mike, first you, uh, if folks forget everything else you and Greg both have shared here today, what's the one key takeaway that they've got to keep front and center as they depart this live stream? Other than Daniel Craig is the best James Bond? Yes. Other than, uh, other than that, slug. I'm good. Yes. I'm going to go back to, to what our recurring theme here has been, which is around awareness. And when I look at you know some of our technology research and where people are putting their technology dollars, and I align that with this idea of awareness, it's things around this idea of control tower, right? And control towers have evolved. You know, if you think about control towers a few years ago, it was really designed around physical assets. Where are my trucks? Where are my ships? Where are my planes? That kind of thing. What we're seeing now, though, and I think it plays into Greg's comment around awareness and providing visibility to Gino's comment, is we're, u- we're using control towers for much more than just physical assets. We're using it for my earlier comment around data. Where are my orders? Where are my customers? How are things flowing between facilities? How are things flowing between a facility and a customer? To me, one of the keys to being able to do some of the things that Greg and I have been talking about is visibility to data. And control towers are emerging as the vehicle and the mechanism to do that. Now, that puts some pressure on chief supply chain officers who don't always have a strong IT background. One of the things we're seeing, though, is about 50% of our top 25 companies, chief supply chain officers have IT responsibilities. So we're starting to see IT responsibilities get folded into the chief supply chain officer role, which I think is a great way to explore this idea of control towers and how can that give us the awareness we need around our organization, both physically as well as from a a data perspective. Mike, I really appreciate that as succinctly as you put it as well. Mike, Greg, see, both of you are, it's like a supply chain tennis match. Right? Uh, It's almost interchangeable. I I love what y'all have been sharing here today. So, Greg, if you had to boil it down to some of our listeners, whether they're with us here live or they're listening to the the podcast replay, beyond what Mike just shared there, what's one thing that they've got to wrap their head around and keep front and center? Yeah, to me, that's if we want to maintain our seat at the table, we have to innovate. We have to continue to grow and not go back to the way thing, you know, to the status quo of how we operated the supply chain. And we're going to go back to the status quo 
of us being at the kitty table. We have to order, offer more to an enterprise than we offered in the past. We have to offer greater data awareness and availability. These control towers are a great example of that. But we also have to offer new ways to use that data to preempt problems in the supply chain and respond more rapidly to problems in the supply chain than we ever have before. And if we want to maintain our status in the C-suite and at the big kids table in the C-suite, then we're going to have to change the way we do things. We can't go back to doing things the way we have since the 70s or 80s or 90s or even noughties. We have to start to do things the way technology, data, business, and awareness both allow and require us. Well said, Greg. I completely agree. And folks, if you're listening to this, especially if you're earlier in your career, raise your hand and volunteer. Have new experiences that will allow you to connect upstream and downstream the enterprise level. It'll open up new understandings, it'll open up new challenges, also open up new solutions and give you the experiences to think differently, like Greg and Mike are both speaking to. Because as a profession, we have to. There's no nice to do this, nice to do that. We must. Okay. So, Mike, I really appreciate, as always, your time with us. First Wednesday of each month, I think I've got that right, Supply Chain Today and Tomorrow. Mike, what's one cool thing coming up at Gartner that more folks should know about? Yeah, I'm actually going to sneak in too. So our symposium is coming up May 8th, 9th, and 10th. I believe it's that first full week in May. But we also have, and I know we'll talk about it, the time will be great for June. We have our big supply chain top 25 reveal on May 24th, 10 a.m. Eastern. So we'd love to have people pop on that, see who we think are the top 25 supply chains, our masters, learn some of the things that they've been wrestling with. It would be great to have people join us around that. Hopefully, we can do a recap of that in our June session. Absolutely. I love that. And you know what, Greg, as Mike, you may or may not, may or may not know this. We have been interviewing many supply chain programs, undergraduate programs, but we've been interviewing lots of uh, the top 25 supply chain universities as ranked by Gartner. And those nice. have been some of our favorite conversations. Greg, those events are always good. The list is, offers up, man, so many great benchmarking and practical use case studying opportunities. And then some, your favorite parts about some of the things that Gartner do, does. Well, this right here, first of all, I mean, I don't know if everybody realizes what a great service this is. I don't know what the price is now, but an hour of, <laughs> of, a, of, a consul- or of, a, of an um, analyst time is like five grand, right? So you people got the kind, I mean, you're getting the kind of insights that people pay big, big money for. And I don't want to minimize that. And Mike is one of the best. So I think it's Im- important to understand that right here in this moment. But Otherwise, I think you have to look at Gartner as the organization that they are, which is the premier technology and I would argue supply chain analyst group in the world. I mean, they're as neutral can be. They're as knowledgeable as anyone you will ever see. We don't just deal with Mike and I have not always just dealt with Mike, um, though I've only ever had my ass whipped in golf. (laughs) He's really good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm serious. No playing for money. But I think, you know, we have a, the value that we bring is not dissimilar to the value, not nearly to the level, of course, but yeah. not similar to the value that Gartner brings. These are practitioners, people who have been there. They've done it. They've done it well. They've changed companies. They've changed their futures. They've changed their processes. They've changed their operations. They've changed their trajectory. And now they're available to basically every company who is either a practitioner company or a service provider to practitioners. And the information 
and value that you can gain from that is incredible. So Agreed. I am giving you a shameless plug, Mike. And that's 100% <laughs> Thank you. because I've been a client. I've experienced it. The knowledge that is available to you is incredible. And I think we all owe Scott a big thank you hug for <laughs> yes. for getting Mike to spend this time with us every single month. Do not underestimate the value of what you're getting right here. Absolutely. Greg, well said, and I agree with every syllable. We've been fortunate to know Mike for a long time. While I've never been a client, it, I feel like I've gotten an, a degree over the last three plus years from learning from Mike each month. So I can only imagine the value that he presents organizations you work with. But Mike, hey, you know that we love you around here. We love your perspective. It's very popular programming here at Supply Chain Now. How can folks, last question for you, Mike, how can folks connect? With LinkedIn and email probably the best ways. I don't do any of the other like real-time stuff. So LinkedIn and email probably the best. And I appreciate the kind words, Greg. It's This is the highlight of my month is getting to spend an hour with all of you folks and the people that, that I'm really appreciative of other people, especially around the world that take time out either late in their evening, early in their morning right. to spend an hour with us. Really appreciate and hopefully people can you know get something out of our time together. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all that you do to move industry forward. And with that said, I want to thank again, Mike Griswold, Vice President Analyst with Gartner. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, Mike. All right. You almost saw his cape get ready as he was taking off to his next big, important, game-changing conversation. But Greg, I really appreciate your thoughts there because we've been spoiled. I mean, you know, we've been able to have a lot of these conversations kind of behind the scenes. So to be able to yeah. bring a lot of that into you know, front and center so folks can catch us on LinkedIn or Twitter or the replay after the fact. I mean, this is really good stuff. And hey, I really appreciate the con from Michelle. Appreciate the feedback, Michelle and Michael. And I think this is Savita. Really appreciate that. Latia's owning up. It was her that bought all the Thin Mints. <laughs> hey, well, we know hey, where they go you. now. That's right. Come to your house, Latia. Let's see here. I want to share just a couple quick things, Greg, before we wrap here today. I want you to think of, while I'm sharing a couple of these announcements, Greg, if Durga is still with us, I'd love to get you to speak to his question here. So I want to pose this with you. He's talking about India's supply chain ecosystem and what we think there mm-hmm. as it relates to the international stage. Greg, you and I, of course, we know about efforts to move a ton of production to India, efforts to create a much stronger relationship, not just in the U.S., but really globally, and tap into the immense talent and know-how. And uh, so I'm going to get you to weigh in on that in just a second. And Durga, if you're still with us, stay tuned. But speaking of the international scene, folks, I want to share this opportunity for you. You know, we talked about volunteering a second ago and how that can benefit on so many different ways, including benefit what you do day in and day out for your organization. This is a wonderful program. We have been supporting this program for a year or so. It's leveraging logistics for Ukraine. It's all focused on getting humanitarian aid to vetted families in need in Ukraine, Poland, and elsewhere. And this program, which has resulted, I got to get updated figures. These figures are just as antiquated maybe as my references, Greg, but Mm. over 600,000 pounds of, you know, Hey, tell us what you need and we're going to get it. 600 pounds, thousand pounds of that stuff of what they need has made it across the Atlantic to Ukraine, Poland, and elsewhere. So talking about outcome, all that's powered by these monthly sessions. So if you missed one, you got the next one coming up May 9th at 11 a.m. Eastern time. This whole program is led by our friends at Vector Global Logistics. Although, Greg, I know if Enrique, Maureen, 
Christy, Elisa, you name it. If all those folks were here from Vector with us today, you know they'd say, no, it's, it takes a village and it's a wide variety of people from around the world. And that's true, but it still takes leaders to make it happen and marshal yeah. resources and organize, right? So yeah. folks, we we'll drop the link to that in the chat. Greg, your quick comment about this precious, truly precious and impactful program that we've been just honored to help support. Yeah, well, for I mean, for those of you who wonder how much that is, that's over, it's almost 300,000 kilograms for mm-hmm. those of you in the civilized world who use the metric system. So that, I think that's important to, to recognize. And also that this is not, there's not a lot of complexity here. 100% of what you give goes to those in need. And that's rare to say the donation here of time, effort, and relationships, business and personal relationships by the folks at Vector cannot be overstated or underestimated, overestimated. It's an incredible initiative by Enrique and the team and so worthwhile, unfortunately, so long lasting, but it has been hugely impactful. And thanks to those on the ground, predominantly in Poland, who are helping land and identify need and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so necessary. Yep. And it's, you know, I don't know. I don't know what else to say, except it's not that formal. Right. Even if you just want to sit in and just listen, a lot of people who have listened in have wound up finding a way to help. So that's right. And that's probably the really important. I'm Greg. Greg, I'm glad you brought that up. Folks, you don't have to give to be a part. You don't have to say anything to be a part. Yeah. Just join this event. Listen in and piece together all that's going on to help people. It's just that simple to help people. So check that out Tuesday, May 9th at 11 a.m. Okay, Greg, I want to hit on one other thing before we call it a day. So with that said, who, who's that guy right there? I was hesitant to put this graphic up, but I took it from the top of our LinkedIn newsletter. With that said, which goes out, it's our LinkedIn newsletter. It goes out once a week, typically, usually Saturday mornings. We've got almost 21,000 subscribers. So thank y'all for all y'all folks that sign up and engage in this content. We try to make this content differently. So to use this recent example, you know, Greg, a couple weeks ago, as you know, we hit on your, your supply chain commentaries. Man, that is like as good as Mike was here. Your supply chain commentaries are equally as golden. And we kind of gave folks a summary of a lot of your recent ones. Make sure they know that, hey, this isn't one-off. This gets delivered with regularity and it's right. so convenient. Well, in a similar fashion, my good news, which we're very passionate about here, creating good news for those, you know, as we, we kind of shared on the front end, you know, it's good to stop and smell the roses from time to time and gain that perspective far beyond what you do. There's no such thing as eight to five these days, but man, being really having more context, having more perspective about what's going on. I think that's a big part of the good news and being able to call time out and really acknowledge that stuff. Because I'll tell you, life, Greg, I know about you. Life, whether it's in the form of your kids, my kids, whether it's in the form of who you work with, whether it's in the form of all sorts of other forces out there, it teaches you lessons, critical business lessons, leadership lessons learned if you stop and soak it in and allow it to. And that's what forms a lot of the good news. So y'all check that out. We dropped a link to the most recent With That Said, which came out, I think, Sunday this time but because of our travel. Y'all check that out. Let us know what you think. We'd welcome your comments there. Uh, Greg, your thoughts around whether you want to pick up on the with that said, or you want to pick back up on your supply chain commentaries, or, you know, I, I think, I think kind of what I was sharing there is in this day and age mm-hmm. where 
We were no matter, you can turn your email off, it's going to hit you on your phone. You can turn your phone off and it's going to hit you on Twitter or something. There's always an opportunity to keep doing and keep doing. And I would argue, just I would argue, because I believe it to my core, that we owe it to ourselves, our companies, our work families, our home families to call time out with regularity and learn and reflect on what we're doing. You know, the good decision, the good stuff, the bad stuff, and all points in between. But Greg, your final thoughts here before we call it a show. You know, I would say in this world, we are prompted, compelled, frankly, to do so much so fast. Take some time, as Scott's talking about, to do less better, right? Take the time to really put significant depth and effort into the research or the work or the understanding of a few things. And that will make the world feel a lot less complex and compelling and overwhelming Mm. to you. And don't fail, you know, don't fail to drop out of social every once in a while. Give yourself Mm. some time. I mean, I have millennial and two Gen Z kids and they are so much happier every time they drop off or reduce their, you know, their footprint or access to social. It's just so incredible because the world seems less overwhelming. You're less impacted by things you can't have any control. And I just think it makes your life better, right? I mean, Stephen Covey always talked about the sphere of awareness and the sphere of influence. And it's better to keep your sphere of awareness closer to your sphere of influence. If you can't do anything about it, it's hopeless and counterproductive to worry about it. That's right. Let go, as the old saying goes, let go or be dragged. Let go or be dragged. All right, so Greg, what a great stopping point for today's live stream. I think we jammed a lot in the last hour. Really enjoyed you and Mike and what y'all brought to the table today. Hey, folks, thanks for all the comments. No, we couldn't hit all of them. We're kind of out of time here today. Loved some of the questions we got. It was great to see Latia Thomas made an appearance after quite some time. I can't wait to catch up with her. That'll she be may fun. have been there all along. She just felt <laughs> really compelled by accounting to sound off. <laughs> well, I, how, that is how how much conflagration accounting causes something. <laughs> That's right. Uh, me too. Well, folks, hey, thank you all for being a part of this journey we're on. Thank you all for leaning into these conversations that, and then the resources and tools that hopefully are making an impact in your day in, day out, and in the bigger picture, which is equally as important. Greg, always a pleasure to knock out these conversations with you. Yeah, but I'm glad to be back. Not sure I will be more diligent at being present (laughs) for this particular thing because it's so much fun. It is a blast. It is a blast. I've got 18 pages of notes sitting here to my right from you both and some of the other comments. But folks, none of this matters in many ways. If you don't soak it, take it in and take action, right? Deeds, not words. You know, you can have the best lip service in the world, but if you don't do anything about it, what's it really worth? So with that said, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, on behalf of Greg and Catherine and Amanda, all the folks behind the scenes, hey, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.